My name is Raquel Ortega, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hey there, listeners. It's the Emerald Podcast Network. My name is Andy Field, and I'm a news reporter with the Daily Emerald. And I am Alec Cowan. I'm the political columnist and the opinion editor for the Daily Emerald. And today we're going to be talking about the inauguration. So I saw you... You were keeping track of the protests going on. Yeah, there was about 700 cities worldwide participated in the Women's March on Washington. Um, those are include both the U.S. and other countries like France, uh, Europe, Asia. It was pretty popular everywhere. And then of course, there were a lot of protests here during, during the inauguration as well. But it looked a little bit of a quiet day. What did you see? Well, I didn't see much, but I, was just, I just read that the Register Guard, uh, 7,000 people went to that Women's March and... That's insane. 7,000 people. Yeah, Portland had about 100,000 people. DC was about 500,000. Most of the parade routes in these places, or or not really parade routes, but march routes, were actually blocked because of the volume of people. They weren't actually able to march because people were just standing toe-to-toe, and there was no room, which um, a lot of places changed the title from march to rally. I think, of course, you know, regardless of if they were able to, to mobilize, it really sends a, a message to be able to say that we had so many people that we couldn't even march. You know, we, we're, feeling the st- we're feeling the streets. I mean, one of the popular narratives was that the women's march actually had about twice as many to three times as many people as attended the inauguration, which has certainly gotten under the skin of the, the Trump administration. What was what was the kind of main uh, main point that the women's march was trying to get across? There were a lot of different motivations behind it. Um, some of it was really feminism driven, um, especially in reference to Donald Trump's behavior towards women. Um, what we call Pussygate now, and the leaked recordings of of his kind of admitted, I guess maybe tendency to uh, assault women. It's kind of no delicate way to put that, but. Uh, <laughs> But definitely, that was kind of one of the driving motivations was respect for women, uh, certainly, and in their place in um, the world, and kind of just trying to elevate themselves past what Donald Trump may try to keep them at. And there are a lot of other motivations. Some of it was environmentalism. A lot of people were out there trying to protest the climate change denial of the White House and and who Trump's bringing in to to lead a lot of these environment agencies, which. Looking at the White House website, the the pages on climate change were taken down within hours of Trump's official sign-in to the presidency. And so, I mean, uh, LGBTQ pages too in the civil rights page. Yeah, exactly. And and that's something that people were protesting as well in the streets was that there was just, you know, any any issue you can think to bring against Trump, there are people out there fighting for that, both not just men, but women, people that don't affiliate with either. It was... It was just a mishmash of people that really had something to say towards Donald Trump and towards the incoming administration. Interesting, because the the rally I went to on Friday had, um, well, it started with sixty and there was one hundred and fifty, but they were they're already advertising the, they're like you know this event tomorrow is going to be huge, and mm-hmm. I, I I would never have expected it to you know seven thousand people. Yeah, and kind of looking at. The crowds on Friday. I think a lot of people expect there to be more protests, um, especially considering what the the week long protests that came after Election Day. And kind of at least from my perspective, walking around campus on Inauguration Day, it was pretty quiet, pretty subdued. That there there were some organizations that were, that were kind of trying to organize some some rallies, some protests, but um, wasn't really anything like we'd seen after inaugur or after Election Day. But, you know, I think that's actually important to note because, you know, the next day, like you were saying, 7,000 people on the street of Eugene for the Women's March. 
And, you know, that, that really brings up the point that there was a lot of people that ignored the inauguration. Um, you know, to protest it is to really, you know, validate it's happening. And it's to kind of say, you know, it's here. We're here to protest it. But I think an even stronger message that the Women's March really communicated was it's not important to us. So we're not even going to protest it. You know, we're going to have our own event. We're going to have it the day after. And just to communicate that ambivalence and communicate that, you know, they ignored Donald Trump's inauguration. I think that really gets under Donald Trump's skin even more. And then, of course, you know, the massive size of the protests and marches and rallies really, really just we've seen the last couple of days, the press for Donald Trump is pretty distressed with you know the numbers of people that showed up and kind of the the small scale, the, the poor ratings, I guess you could say, of the inauguration. I wonder if it was, you know, I wonder if these uh, protests were co- coordinating with each other, mm-hmm. um, if there's any of that going on. Um, I don't know if, if, if there's any master plan organizing going on, which kind of brought this turnout. Yeah, originally the the women's it's titled the Women's March on Washington, which is kind of lifted from uh, MLK's Martin Luther King Jr.'s March on Washington, which was one of the the biggest events that we can we can have in uh, at least estimated in U.S. history, one of the biggest marches. And this is kind of building on top of that, but kind of adding the, you know, the, 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 the word women. And, and certainly it wasn't just women, but it certainly had that magnitude and that size, um, especially the global scale, to be kind of this nationally organized movement really against Trump. I mean, it's, it's not just, it's, it's kind of a disservice to say it's just for women and just for, you know, certain groups. It's kind of, it was a, a moment for everyone that disagrees with with the the incoming government to to voice their displeasure. Did you ever listen to the speech at all? What would you kind of take from that? Yeah, looking at the speech, there's a couple interesting things. Um, one of them is a lot of it. I mean, it was in Donald Trump's traditional speaking style, um, which itself isn't very traditional at all. It's, it's very you know disjointed, very hyperbolic, very, you know, I trust you a thousand percent, you know, we're going to be so good. We're going to be the best that's ever been, um, you know, knock your socks off, stuff like that. Um, so it had that element to it, which is of course not surprising. It's classic Donald Trump, but you know, on top of that, there was a lot of giving the government back to the people. It was a lot of kind of this handing down of, you know, the elite government to the everyday citizen. And a lot of it was the rhetoric of, giving giving power back to the people and you know in that kind of sense it was very jacksonian very andrew jackson of you know we're taking it from the hands of the rich and we're giving it to the poor and and you know we're really knocking home the idea that democracy is is powered by the people that participate in it but um as good of a message that is i it's hard to take at face value it's hard to take as valid when Donald Trump has really filled his cabinet with the CEOs, um, Wall Street execs, people from Goldman Sachs that caused the last financial crash. Um, the number of people in his cabinet that represent what the average American goes through or has gone through you know, their entire life. I mean, you look at Betsy DeVos, who has never gone to public school, and yet she's running the education department. And it's, well, she, she's in the process to get elected that way. But it's... um. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's um well, it's the wealthiest cabinet for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that's, that's one of the uh, record breakers. One of the record breakers. Yeah. So I mean, it's a little. I mean, it's hard not to be distrustful of, of anything that the the administration is pushing out right now. But 
certainly the idea that you know we're giving power back to the people is um you know there's a lot of baggage to that claim one more thing that's really important and that's kind of fermented the last couple days is, is this distrust with the media um, after the release of, of the images and the comparisons between crowd sizes of Obama's inauguration to, to Trump's and the, the Women's March to Trump's and a lot of news organizations pulling out these statistics that, well, Trump's inauguration you know, fell flat. It was pitiful. No one showed up. Um, that really got under his skin, and he actually had a, his, gave an impromptu press conference with um, his press, uh, press secretary, and the entire conversation, if you listen to it, is... It's ridiculous. It's it's almost kind of the plea of an emasculated <laughs> or emasculated man, and um, it's very much well. You know, we had the biggest crowd ever. You know, period. I think that was the, we had the biggest crowd in the history of the uh, you know, United States. Period. Um, you know, it, we had. It's, there's all these justifications for why it looked small. Oh, we, this is the first year we had white tarps out to protect the grass, and that's you know why you could see the little holes there. You know, it was a cold day. You know, people were working, and it's like you know, it's it's almost like you know trying to make up for uh, for some inadequacies there, and uh, really trying to. <laughs> it, it's it's hard not to read into it as kind of the. The same conversation of, you know, trying to stake your manhood. Yeah. And it's a very defensive speech, very much about like, oh, the you know, the media is trying to portray this as, you know, something it isn't. And there's lies, lies. And, you know, looking at the campaign trail, there's a lot of distrust between Donald Trump and the media. And after this impromptu press conference, I, it's even worse um, after the press secretary called the media um, you know, full of falsities, full of liars, full of false information, and which Kellyanne Conway today called, uh, you know, uh, alternate facts, alternative facts. Um, so, I mean, there, there's there's a couple of things to that. I mean, I think it's actually good if we kind of sow this distrust between the media and Donald Trump, because I think that for a long time, journalists have been trading kind of, you know, the integrity and hard hitting questions for access. You know, you get to, you get to, uh, interview the president so long as you don't ask him the tough questions. And I think to kind of revoke that access and, and keep the press out of, you know, the obsequious nature that they have to, to get news coverage from, from the white house, you know, to, to deny them that access, I think requires them to be more, to have more integrity, to be more hard hitting. Um, it's a lot of people are saying this is bad and it's, you know, historically unprecedented, but I think in a lot of ways this, this could actually pan out pretty well. Well, you still call it a press conference. I thought you take questions <laughs> in a press conference. Yeah, there were no there were no questions. Um, like I said, it was impromptu. The first one is actually scheduled for next week, but this one um, was you know ten fifteen minutes, just real quick in and out, just just to address the crowd size, really, um, to address some reporters that said some stuff on on Twitter that were false, and so you know it really got under his skin that that someone could say something false about them on Twitter. So it's it's kind of comical. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, he's he's the leader of our country. So um, how funny is it really? All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for that analysis. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, there's a lot of stuff and it's certainly not going to stop going forward. You got any stories coming up? Um, look forward to? Yeah, we got some great stuff coming out from the Opinion Desk. Um, some stuff on kind of identity, what you would call, I guess, identity politics, what it means to be American. Um, looking at populism, which Donald Trump is, is a big fan of, you know, adopting that label as a populist leader. And then some stuff just regarding uh, the common reading book, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me, um, who he's going to be here on the 3rd. So a lot of great content coming out. Cool. Sounds great. That's a wrap. I'm Andy Field. I'm here with Alec Cowan uh, from the Opinion Desk. And uh, we just talked about the inauguration. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks. Thanks.